You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Um, doing a series called Jesus 2016, kind of playing along with the whole election year thing and how Jesus is the perfect candidate. Um, uh, we, 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 we need to put our faith in his leadership in his candidacy, in his presidency in our life. And we talked about it in Easter, about how his promise, you know, his campaign promises of forgiveness and redemption, how it's for you. No matter where you're at, his promise is for you. And then the next week, it was great to have Steve here, and he talked about why he gets my vote and how Jesus, uh, through Christ alone, I can have access to the Father. And um, then last week, it was great to have Brian Craig with us and uh, talking about how, who the people that Jesus chooses to be with him. And he chooses the sinful, right? The surrendered, sinful seeker. That's who, he see, that's who he's looking for. He loves and he blesses the humble. I should appreciate Dave talking about uh, today and just the songs that we sang about humbling ourselves. Jesus is the perfect candidate in our lives. He proclaimed, but he came to proclaim a kingdom... That's not of this world. And that was a difficult thing for these guys to understand in, in, um, in Jerusalem. Today, we're going to close out our time talking about what is it that he actually wants us to do. Just like any presidential candidate, uh, you know, they're always accused of what, what their track record is. They're inexperienced. They're, they've got experience. They made a, with their experience, they messed up the state that they were governing or whatever it is. You see all the attacks that people have based on what they've done or not done. And then a president always leaves, right? And you don't really think too much about his family or his character. You think more, what did they get done, right? This, this is, we, we want action. And Jesus, it's awesome about Jesus because he came and he says in Luke 4, he said, he, he, one of my favorite passages in Luke 4, he, he goes to church, he goes to synagogue, he, he gets this prophecy out from Isaiah, he reads it, he says, you know, uh, gonna preach, uh, um, he's going to preach the word to, to, the, to the poor, uh, save the oppressed, uh, heal, the, heal the sick, um, heal the blind, give sight to the blind. He reads his prophecy, and then he gets up and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your sight. And he sits back down, drop the mic. What? And all these people are looking at him and they're like, are you kidding me? We know your parents. And they run him out of town. But I love Jesus because he says, this is what I'm doing. And then later on in Matthew 11, it says that John the Baptist, he was kind of, I don't know, is this the guy? So he sends his guys to go check out. Hey, Jesus, are you the guy that we're waiting for? And he says, go tell John, the, the sick are being healed. The, the blind are, are given sight. Uh, the, 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 the prisoners are being released. In other words, here's what I'm doing. Here's the action. Now go tell them this is what's happening. In other words, Jesus, I, I, I respect so much and I love Jesus because he, he says, here's, here's what I want you to do, but we can trust his executive orders because he's the one that was doing it. You guys with me on this? And so we're going to talk about this today. And, um, you know, no one, Jesus didn't just come to teach stuff and to give you some good ideas and good morals. He came to, for one specific purpose. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the dead. And then I got some stuff for you to do. That's why Jesus came. 
No one wants to follow someone who just has great ideas. I love ideas. But I want to follow action. And Jesus was a man of action. In Matthew 28, we see this combination of these, of these verses. Okay, I'm not going to read them all, but we see a combination of these verses. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells the followers, after he raises from the dead, he tells the followers, hey, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. In Mark 16, kind of at the end of Mark, Mark writes that he tells the followers, go preach this gospel to all creation. In Luke 24, after the guys walk with him and, the, you know, the sermon I did for Easter and stuff like that, um, he says that forgiveness and repentance will be preached to all nations in his name. In John 21, in John kind of 13 through 17, Jesus talks about this is what I want you to do. Wash feet, be fruitful, all these kind of things. And then even John 21, the last chapter of John, when Peter is being reinstated, he tells Peter, go feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, go do something. Take care of people. Jesus didn't have a lot of missions in mind. He had one mission in mind. Preach the gospel. And as you do that, help people get to know him and love each other. This was Jesus' mission. This is his executive order. This is what he wants you and I to be about. Now, Luke wrote this, uh, this, this um, encounter that we talked about at Easter in Luke 24, where the two guys are walking to this town called Emmaus. And, um, you know, he reveals himself to them. And then he gets, has dinner with them and has dinner with the disciples and and so Luke writes this, and then Luke also writes a second book called the book of Acts. Okay, that's kind of part two of his writing to this guy named Theophilus. And in Acts chapter 1, check this out in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up in heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Okay, so over a period of 40 days, a resurrected Jesus appears and speaks to his followers about the kingdom of God. 40 days! They're hanging out with Jesus. They're eating double-doubles and in and out together. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're hanging out. They're spending time. They're going fishing together. It's not a ghost. It's a real person. Resurrected Jesus. I saw this man die. And now he's alive again with the scars all over him. And we're hanging out. And this is their response. In verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it. They understand that, that Jesus came to do something way bigger than just restore the kingdom to Israel. And, re- and release them from, from, from the rule of the Romans. Jesus came to do something way bigger than that. You've got to love Jesus being so patient. I would have been like, dude, forget you guys. I'm going to go find some other dudes to help me with this thing because you guys definitely don't get it. I have literally risen from the dead. And you're over here talking about I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He's so patient with them. He says to them, you know, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He gives them again what they're supposed to. Now, they have already heard him say something similar along these lines. Go preach the word. Go make disciples. These kind of things. And he's telling them again, this is you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have power from the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the, of the earth, all nations. In verse, uh, in verse 9, it says, then after he said this, right after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And these guys were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love these two angels. They must have been the same dudes that were at the tomb as well. I love these guys. They show up again. They're like, um... Now, you and I, if we were there, think about it. We probably would have been staring up in the sky too. Are you kidding me? This guy just told me that I'm going to receive the Spirit, the spirit and, and, and go preach the Word, whatever. And now he's just literally before my eyes, floating in the air, up into heaven. Of course I'm going to be staring intently into the sky. That was crazy. And yet these angels come and say, hey guys, what are you doing? What are you staring at? Kind of implying like, He's going to come back, so get to work. There's stuff to be done. Go. Make disciples. Preach the word. Why are you paralyzed just looking into the sky? He's coming back. You've got stuff to do. You're not, go- you're not going anywhere. He's coming back. You know, this is a whole other kind of angle here on end times. I want to, for a biblical scholars there, if you want to study this out, but if you read the New Testament... The idea of us going to heaven is not really present in the New Testament. The idea of him coming back is all over the New Testament. So the early Christians didn't talk about, I'm going to get baptized because I want to go to heaven. They weren't going anywhere. They're waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Go look that up. Study that out. You'll like that. Anyway, it's a little freebie for you. A little, little Bible study for you. Um, you know, I think we can be like these guys sometimes. We stare at the blessing. I've been forgiven of my sin. Whew! I made it. I am baptized for the forgiveness of my sin. And you kind of wallow and float in that forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. I'm going to show up to church. I'll give my tithe. I'll give a hug to people. I love being forgiven. And you just kind of stay there. <laughs> and I think, I think the angels will be like, hey, why are you staring at this blessing of forgiveness? Now that you've been forgiven, go do something. Get out there. Tell people about it. Some of you, you know, some of us, we pray and we pray and we pray to get married. And then you get married. And you have this awesome wife, or you have this awesome husband, and I'm married, and we're just kind of staring at each other. This blessing that the Lord has granted us. 
And then God's, being, the God's like, listen, 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 let me explain something to you. I put you together so you can go do something together. Not just have babies. Amen. I want a boyfriend so bad. I want a girlfriend so bad. I, want a, I, want, I just want a relationship so bad, this, uh, you know, this, this dating relationship so bad. And then you get this dating relationship, God blesses you, and you just stare at it. You don't realize that, that God maybe gave you this in order for you to have more of a light. God gives you your dream job, your dream career, and you just stare at it. The angels are saying, why are you staring so intently into that blessing? You guys follow me on this? I think this happens with us sometimes. So I want to talk about this a little bit. What does being witnesses to the ends of the earth mean to you and I today? Jesus makes this a little bit clearer for us in John, in the book of John. So I'm going to read a passage in John, and then three quick points, and then we'll be out of here. But... Um, you know, if you, if you take John, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, all together, it all fits in one kind of section of Scripture here. And we're going to read this together in John chapter 15. Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. Um, let's read this together. If you don't have a Bible, please get close to somebody who does. Uh, if you're new here, if you're here for the first time, I want to encourage you to stop by our connection table, and you will receive a free Bible. It's awesome. And, and some water. And some chocolate and some mints. Now, I'm telling you, if you're here for the first time, you want to be here for the first time every week if you were, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we love that you're here and that you would take time uh, out of your life to be here with us. I don't know how you got here, but we're thankful that you're here. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you remain in me, though, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. What an incredible passage. This is such a, such a rich passage full of promise, warning, direction that Jesus gives to his followers and which translates to you and I today if we claim to follow Jesus. Now, for those who are unsure of your faith, if you're here and you're unsure about your faith and still skeptical about Jesus and you don't really know if you want to follow him wholeheartedly or not, I think what this passage does is it gives you an inside view as to what Jesus wants his followers to be about and to be doing, which hopefully today will inspire you 
Because what it does, it gives us a purpose, a reason, a mission, something to do, especially for guys. You know, guys, we like to do stuff. We want, result. We want to see results. We want to see uh, productivity. I like that. We like action. I took uh, Bella last night to see, or yesterday to see uh, the Jungle Book, you know, and I loved it. Man, I'm telling you, there was so much action in that movie. I was loving it. I love my little baby girl, too. She wanted to hold my hand during the scary parts and stuff. Fathers with daughters, you understand what I'm talking about. Any guy loves to do something. And I I love, what you'll find here is you'll find Jesus saying, this is what I want you to do. Matthew, when you read Matthew 5 through 7, it's like, this is who I want you to be. John, John, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, this is who I want you to be. John 15 this is what I want you to do. You guys with me here? So, executive order, number one, remain in him. No branch can survive apart from the vine. There is no fruit, no productivity, unless the branch remains in the vine. A branch is unfruitful because it is apart from the vine. This is what Jesus is saying. The branch is not meant to produce... Think about this. The branch is not meant to produce fruit in order to stay in the vine... Being fruitful is a byproduct of remaining in the vine. You follow me on that? A branch can go through pruning in order to be more fruitful. But usually a dead or unfruitful branch is so because it is not attached to the vine. I'm no gardener, but I mean, it's pretty clear, right? It makes sense. My main responsibility Number one priority is to stay close to Jesus, is to remain in Christ. You know, this lines up well with Matthew 28, verse uh, verse 18. All authority has been given to me. In other words, the implication being there that he is in charge, and therefore we are to do his bidding, and can only do it because of him, by his power, and for his glory. It's all about Jesus. Now, the promise that Jesus gives here is pretty amazing. If you remain in him, you won't just bear fruit, but you will bear what? Much fruit. Ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Remain in him. That's some pretty cool promises. The warning is equally amazing. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Cut off from me, you won't do anything. A branch that doesn't remain in the vine, in Christ, is thrown away and withers. The issue is remaining in Christ more so than bearing fruit, because fruit comes from remaining in the vine. You know, I love talking to people in our congregation who have followed Jesus and remained in Christ for a long time. It shows character, it shows faithfulness, but it shows a a priority. My relationship with Jesus. There's so many disciples, so many Christians here who have been Christians for a long time. We're talking about 20 plus years. When I say long time, I mean like 20 plus years. There's so many here in the room like that. And I would say, man, I, I love and respect anybody that can stay faithful and remain in Christ for 20 plus years. Because you go up and down and all around. 
And you got years of great growth and years of no growth. You got years of fruitfulness and no fruitfulness, and yet you're still here remaining in the vine. I'll clap that up. I'll clap that up. I, I want to I wanna challenge you and encourage you. If you're, if you're a young Christian, if you've been a Christian for six months, two months, one year, two years, three years, kind of five years and under. If you're, if you've been a Christian for five years and under, I'll tell you, go find yourself somebody who's been a Christian for 20 plus years and force yourself to be their best friend <laughs> just to be around them. Because you know that remaining in, that, that their life, remaining in Christ, has produced much fruit. If you're a teenager, and I love studying the Bible with teenagers, but I always tell them, you know, they're 13, 14, 15, 16, around there, and they want to get baptized. I 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 say, are you sure? You know you still got to go to college, right? And you still got, like, to get after college, you still got, like, your 20s and your 30s and your 40s. Are you sure? Right now, at 16, you understand you want to get baptized? Do you understand, like, you don't just take a break? Like, at 18, 19, I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to come back when I'm 20. No, it's forever. I'm so proud of our teenagers. Now, I'll tell you, when I tell them that, you know these guys? I remember remember counting the cost with Simon. I said that, I did this with Simon. And Simon was like, okay, yeah, so? I want to get baptized. Like, it's like, there's still a conviction. Jesus died for me. I know that. I'm sinful, and without, apart from him, I can do nothing. You can understand that at 14 years old, 15 years old. That's my prayer is that my daughters, my kids will know that in their, in their teenage years. Whether they become disciples or not during that time, I don't, that's, that's up to God and, and to their relationship with him. But, man, I can do whatever I can right now to, to water that seed, to water that seed. I love seeing teenagers... Now, because I served in the team ministry for a long time, I love seeing teenagers that I worked with and studied the Bible with and helped who are now married. Like this past two years, there's like three or four of them that got married. Several of them are, in the, are, are leading ministries around the world in different churches. I knew them when they were 13, 14 years old. I'll tell you, teenagers, remain in Christ. Don't give up. College students, remain in Christ. You're young. You're young. I'll tell you, so many married people. How many, how many people here are married that were converted or met during their college years? Raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that. That's incredible to me. I'll clap that up, too. I'm going to tell you. You become a disciple... In your college years, and then God gives you marriage and children and bills and jobs and how, I mean, it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. It's actually more opportunity for you to remain in Christ. College students, don't give up. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're coming here and you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. This might be my last Sunday. I don't know. I'm going to tell you. Don't give up. Remain in Christ. You will bear much fruit. How do I do this? Spend time with them. You've got to spend time with Jesus. Read the Gospels over and over and over until you kind of get it. 
When you read the Gospels, you realize, this guy is tight. This guy is amazing. And he said some crazy stuff, too. Imagine yourself there. Put yourself there. Read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. See how he treats people. Read John, the book of John. See how he treats people, how he interacts with people. The Pharisees are judgmental and casting stone. And this guy's like, nah. Lately, I've been having three in the morning quiet times. Because I'm holding the baby, you know. Got the bounce. I'm walking around, bouncing the baby. I'm telling you, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wired in a sense of I, I want to be involved. I want to be around people. I want to be in the mix. I always want to be in the mix. So when people call me up, hey, can you, yeah, yeah, let's get together, let's get together, let's get together, all this kind of stuff. And I think God is so funny because I think God just got me in a spot where he's like, no, Rube, you got to say no a lot more now. And it's good for you to say no because I want you to learn a lesson. Remain in me. Why don't you pray for those people more? Why don't you pray for the church more? Why don't you pray? You see what I'm saying? Slow down a little bit, Rube. Take it easy. <laughs> Slow down. But God's kind of getting my attention. And it hit me the other day. I was reading this at 3 or 4 in the morning. And it hit me. I just, I almost felt like Jesus telling me, Reuben, Reuben, remain in me. And you will bear much fruit. Executive order number two. Bear much fruit. Oh, two books I want to encourage you. If, you, if you're having a hard time. I read these two books in the past two months, Beautiful Outlaw and The Jesus I Never Knew. I'm telling you, I, actually, I didn't read the whole Jesus I Never Knew. I just kind of picked it up again. But, uh, man, some, just some good insights about Jesus. And it helped. It helped me to reinvigorate my relationship with Christ. Some good stuff in there. Executive number, order number two, bear fruits. As you remain in him, you will bear fruits. You know, I'll tell you, fruit, some biblical scholars say fruit here can be fruit of the Spirit, or fruit here, some scholars say, can be winning others to Christ. I mean, I don't really care. Whatever the case is, Jesus expects you to be productive with your life. You know, Matthew 7 talks about the false teachers, and he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, by the outcome of their life. And he talks about, he uses kind of different references to this, over and over again, he talks about using your gifts for him, loving your enemies, serving the poor, feeding the hungry. All that is a part of bearing much fruit. I think in our church culture, we use this term so many times and equaled it to our level of spirituality. In other words, if I'm not fruitful in a year, something's off with me, my relationship with God. You know, I, I, did, I had this in my, in my walk with God. I, I, my value came from... How many people am I helping to become Christians? If I'm not helping people to become Christians, then something's off with me. And I think over the years what God has taught me is, you know, that's a great thing that you feel that way, Reuben, but I want you to remain in me. In other words, the priority being remain in Christ and don't worry about the fruit because you will bear fruit. The fruit will come because you remain in Jesus. I think too much guilt was associated with a lack of fruit in terms of conversions and converting people. Too much competition was enforced by being fruitful. Oh, that guy has been fruitful three times this year. How many times have you been fruitful? I mean, we use this terminology and, and it created this environment of competition or just 
I don't know, just not... For some of us who are more accused personalities, it felt more like the only value I have spiritually is if I am helping somebody become a Christian. You don't bear fruit in order to stay in the vine. You stay in the vine and you will produce fruits. You guys with me on this? But I do think it's healthy sometimes to ask the question. When was the last time you were in a Bible study with an unbeliever to help them come to Christ? What, when was the last time you shared your story, your personal story, with someone outside of Christ with the hopes of winning them to Christ? How long has it been since your small group, your, your group of friends, your, your, your small group has, has helped someone or been in the process of helping someone become a Christian? You know, evangelism is expected by Jesus. It's a byproduct of our gratitude for who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Evangelism isn't necessarily a spiritual gift. It's, it's what Jesus' followers do. Oh, Reuben, you're guilting us out. You're using guilt. Well, no, not really. Oh, Reuben, we need to be motivated by grace, not by guilt. Well, let's look what Paul had to say about grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I am the least. He's like... He's, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether they is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. I did a lesson a few weeks ago for the men at the men's midweek about God's grace and this is very convicting to me to read about this because Paul had a deep understanding of God's grace. And this understanding led him to work hard and to do more. I think we got it twisted sometimes. We think, well, I'm going to do more to get God's approval, which is, this is me, this is my challenge. I'm going to do more, be involved more, do more things in order to get God's approval, instead of God's approval motivating me to do a lot of great things. You guys with me here? This is convicting to me personally. Jesus, God, Paul says, man, God's grace has been so great to me, I'm going to work harder than anybody else. Nobody's telling me to work hard. I'm just going to do it because I'm so thankful to God's grace. The message of the gospel produced a strong spiritual work ethic in his life. You know, Jesus talks about that with the woman, sinful woman. And he says, you know, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. I wonder if you and I have a misunderstanding of the result of the overflow of God's grace in our life. So you keep on looking at pornography and not overcoming this area of sin because maybe it's, it's you don't have an understanding of God's grace. If I understood God's grace, I would work hard. <laughs> To flee from this sin. You guys with me on this? You know, some of you guys refuse to lead your family and your wife after they've expressed their need for your leadership. Your wife is over here crying in tears, begging you to lead them spiritually. And you refuse to do so. I think it's because you probably have a misunderstanding of God's grace. I think Paul would tell you that. Paul would probably be like, I don't think you understand God's grace. If you're not working hard to lead your family spiritually. 
I told this to the guys a couple of weeks ago. I thought this was kind of funny. I think sometimes I have to feel, sometimes I, as a church leader, sometimes I feel like I have to give you a, a business presentation with slides and PowerPoint to convince you and persuade you to lead a small group or to disciple somebody or to serve as an usher or to be in the kids' kingdom class or whatever. And I'm wondering if maybe that's just because you don't understand God's grace more than my lack or inability to inspire you to do so. Now, I have a responsibility to inspire and mobilize and motivate. That's my calling. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's, you know, equipping the saints for works of service, all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But I'm wondering if we had a deeper understanding of God's grace, how much more work would get done? Paul worked harder than all the others because of God's grace. I'm so proud of our singles ministry last month. They did a, a mission madness, you know, and the, the singles ministry was out at the malls different weeks of the month and just going up to random strangers, inviting them uh, to hear the message about Jesus. And who knows how much fruit that's going to bear or whatever, but I'm just so proud that our singles were out there in the community trying to reach people for Christ. You know, I, I, I'll, clap, I'll clap that up. I'm so... Um, I'm so encouraged by our campus ministry. Our campus ministry has a goal of of raising $15,000 for missions, world missions contribution. And they're almost, they're like halfway there, right, Greg? You're like about halfway there, about 8,000, close to 8,000. Halfway there, according to Greg. And uh, I'm just so proud of them. They're going around with their jars trying to collect money, give to missions to support churches in Central America and Mexico and the Middle East. And it was so cool. Uh, the church leader in El Salvador was posting this on Facebook this past week, but they took uh, 15 campus students down to San Pedro Sula to Honduras, and we're doing campus Bible talks. And they studied the Bible with 80 people, 60 people, had visitors at church try, trying to help the spread of the gospel in the campus ministries. And our funding helps that to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's awesome. I'm so encouraged. You know, a few years ago when we first moved here, um, a sister brought out uh, Sophia. Sophia's a Korean sister in our ministry, and she got baptized. And then Sophia's husband was living in Korea, working, and connected him with the church. He studied the Bible, and he got baptized. He ended up moving over here, and now they're part of our ministry here. Jason and Sophia are here. I don't know where they're at, but... Oh, they're there right here. And, and they have their children. And today they're going to baptize their son, James. Isn't that cool? James right over here. Go ahead, stand up, James. Stand up, James. That's awesome. There's James right there. Now, for those of you who were here last week, James's first language is Korean. His second language is English. And last week he led a song for us in Spanish. That was kind of <laughs> awesome. I'm so excited about this is this is bearing fruit. This past week I got a message from Anna G. You know, Dick and Anna G. Uh, do so much for our church here, and they shared for communion last week. And Anna uh, was sharing about how Charlene Geppert or Dick had shared about how Charlene Geppert had brought her to church up in the Bay Area. And so, you know, then Anna gets baptized, they get married, um, and then obviously their two daughters get married. So it's like Char- God used Charlene. What's that? Not married. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey. Hey. The fog is thick. The fog is thick. I'm trying to get out of it. Okay, so 
So, but it was so cool because um, she was, anyway, she texted us. She's like, wow, look at this. Like, Charlene brought me, you know, I got baptized, met Dick, we dated, married, two girls, they get baptized. And then Brent and Charlene, Brent meets, uh, in the neighborhood there, meets Stephen Wright and brings Stephen out and studies the Bible with Stephen and Sheila. And Stephen and Sheila get baptized and now their two sons have gotten baptized. And so it's like God has kind of used Brent and Charlene as they have remained in Christ to bear much fruit. Isn't that cool to think about? And, um, and so Anna, Anna is just so funny. She just texted me. She's like, I just had this crazy thought. You know, Brent and Charlene have helped two whole families, really. God has used Brent and Charlene to help two whole families come to Christ. Like whole families, not just the spouses, but the kids as well, because the spouses have helped. And how many souls here have been served and shepherded and encouraged by Stephen and Sheila and by Dick and Anna? How many of us have received the courage? I mean, that's fruit. That's fruit that will last. Lastly, oh my gosh, we ran out of time. I'm so sorry. Executive order number three, love one another. He talks about it in John 13. He talks about it in John 15. Love one another. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not warm fuzzies. Some of you guys, you don't give me the warm fuzzies. And I know I don't give you the warm fuzzies either. The issue is not the warm fuzzies. It's not the, I love you. It's not that. The issue is a decision. I love you. I decide to serve you. I decide to wash your feet. Because that's the way Jesus loved. It's a decision. And by this love for one another, we will, people will know that we're disciples. You know, Matthew 28 talks about this. All authority in Christ, you know, go make disciples, be fruitful. And then the last part, teach them to obey everything. That's the most difficult part of discipleship and fruit bearing, is teaching one another to obey everything, not just a couple things, everything that Jesus has said. Maturing Christians. I think a lot of times we focus so much on getting them back, getting people, helping people come to Christ that we forget, man, we got, that's just the beginning. When James gets baptized today and Edith got baptized last week, this is just the beginning. You've got a whole life ahead of you to learn to obey. Man, we need to be involved in each other's lives. So encouraged by our small groups. Right now our small groups are meeting, talking about, and the family members are talking about marriage. Getting some scriptures, talking about marriage. I mean, marriage is tough. Marriage is work. It's not all warm fuzzies. It's a decision. To serve one another, we need to be in each other's lives, helping one another, practice love for one another. Love in action, not just in words. But words are important. Encouragement, spurring. We need to be involved in each other's lives. So, now what do we do? Well, remain in Christ. Develop your relationship with Jesus. Trust in His promises. If you're not strong in your relationship with Christ, with God... Christ, or if, if you're here for the first time and want to figure out our church and Jesus and all that kind of stuff, I said get into a personal Bible study, ask the questions, engage in the dialogue. If you've been here and you're kind of weak in your relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you, go after it this week. Pray, spend time with Him, read the Gospels, get, get engaged and reconnected with God through Christ. Remain in Him. When we remain in Him, number two, we will bear fruit. You let God's grace motivate you to open your mouth this week. I heard an evangelist once say, you know, your city is as open as your mouth is. 
your neighborhood, your job, you're as, only, as, open, as, only as, as open as your mouth is. What if God's grace motivated you just to open your mouth one more time this week? You never know. Bear fruit. Pray for opportunities to share your story. Fast for souls to know Christ. You know, there are souls who are studying the Bible right now, making decisions in the campus ministry. Fast for them. You don't even know who they are. What if you just took a day of fasting for God's harvest? We want to grow. We, the church is growing. We're filling up in here. We're going to eventually have to go to two services, plant a downtown ministry. We have all these ideas and dreams and all kinds of stuff, but it requires sacrifice. When you start viewing church as through the lens of what's going to help us reach more people for Christ, not through the lens of what's going to meet my needs. You guys with me on this? People ask me, when are we going to do downtown? When are we going to go to church? I mean, I've been talking about it for a long time. Well, I think our church needs to get ready for this. I don't know if we're ready for it yet. I think too many of us are still, what's going to meet my needs? Fearful of change because I'm afraid it's not, it's going, to, it's not going to meet my needs. I think we got to get to a point where we start thinking, what's going to reach more people for Christ? Is it going to be two services? Is it going to be downtown ministry? Is it going to be, you know, whatever it is? You guys follow me here? Love one another. Get into a small group. Resolve that conflict with somebody. Serve someone in your small group this week. Go pray with someone. Do something for someone. Wash some feet. If you're here for the first time and you're still trying to figure out your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you. Jesus just didn't come to teach you something or how to be, but he has something for you to do. To me, it's inspiring. Until his return, my mission is to remain in him, and as I do that, to bear much fruit. It's very simple. Don't just stand there standing around, staring at the sky, staring at the blessing. The angels are going to tell you, just like they told the apostles, why are you staring so intently into the sky? Get to work. We have lots of work to do here on earth before our Savior comes back. Jesus closes out his time. He says, he says to the guys, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Everything that we just talked about is all just in that, those two verses. You didn't choose me. I chose you. That's what God wants. He wants a relationship with you. I chose you. And I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit that will last. Our value comes from our relationship with God, not from the fruit that's being bear- that we're bearing or not bearing. But as we remain in him, there will be fruit. And this is my command. Love each other. By this love... Everyone will know your mother's side. Let's go to God in prayer. We're going to close out here with a prayer, and then we'll be dismissed here. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray today that we would strive to remain in you, to remain in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.